Hello, Syngap land. My name is Michael Gralia. This is episode 101 of Syngap 10, your 10-minute weekly briefing on everything you need to know about Syngap 1. Today is Saturday, April 15th, and as usual, it was a heck of a week with some cool developments. But I want to tell you about one thing that wasn't so cool, and I want to ask you a question. So there was a... I got a phone call. I got a phone call from my mom who said, how many times can you give a rescue med in 24 hours? And I was like, I have no idea. What, what what's going on? And, and her son was suddenly having a lot of seizures and she was giving him a rescue med and a few hours later, giving it to him again and giving it to him again. And I was like, call your neurologist. That's a neurologist question. My neurologist is not responding. Go to the ER. I went to the ER. They're not listening to me. They didn't see any seizures. They sent me home. They'd never heard of Syngap. I got a little grumpy. I wrote a tweet out to neurologists. I said, what should we do in this situation? And I sort of named and shamed the hospital in question, they responded and they're talking to mom, whatever. But it, it the conversation on Twitter was kind of interesting because people were like, well, basically, you, like for migraines, if you've got severe migraines and, and, and the ER doesn't take you seriously, what happens is you get the doctor to write a letter to your local ER. And that way, um, when you go in, you can say, no, check my record. And there'll be a letter in there signed by a doctor saying this patient has severe migraines, blah, blah, blah. And so for us, the takeaway for mom here was one of the pieces of advice we got was, well, mom should, if, if her neurologist isn't picking up the phone and, and we know that's a thing, then we need to make sure that there's a letter on file at the ER saying this patient has Syngap, Syngap is an epileptic encephalopathy, and therefore if the patient presents with seizures, please try this med or this med or call me for emergencies, whatever, right? And it got me thinking. Because I'm fortunate, right? Tony is seen at Stanford. Tony's neurologist is at Stanford. They generally communicate with each other. When, when, and sometimes our kids get very sick. Sometimes seizures progress in Syngap, and sometimes our kid get a, get, get a viral infection or whatever, just like normal kids get sick. But because their brain's a little um, Syngapped, their response is abnormal, and they have weird presentation. Tony would had a thing. He got a viral infection where he would cough, then throw up, then pass out. ER went nuts. They were they threw every test in the book at him. And his neurologist walked in a day later. He's like, guys, chill out. It's just it's got an encephalopathy. It's just go easy with the spinal taps, right? But it's not always that simple. And and so my takeaway from this story and this talking to this mom through this ordeal was, um, please, guys, if, if your neurologist, if something goes wrong, what's your communication plan with your neurologist? That's question one, right? Do you know your emergency number for your neurologist. Does your neurologist have a backup? And then number two, if you've got one ER, one children's ER that you can go to, and your neurologist's answer to, well, what happens if you don't answer the phone is, we'll just go to the ER. Well, what's the ER gonna do with some parent being like, this child has Syngap? And they're like, I've never heard of Syngap. How do we bridge that gap? And I think this idea of saying to your neurologist, what's our plan? Can you put a letter in at the ER? Not crazy. That was one of the things I learned this week that I really wanted to share with you guys because I think we all, um, unfortunately, probably going to spend some time in the ER with our kid at some point in time. But let me tell you about all the good things, good, good things that happened this week. So the first thing is um, there was a paper published by Dr. Frazier. If you remember, we gave Dr. Frazier a grant a year ago to do the um, neurobehavioral evaluation tool. It's a, it's a tool he's developing to assess our kids. There's a questionnaire, there's also an eye tracking component, whatever. The point is, 
P10 underwrote a big effort for Dr. Frazier and he wanted to, to get data on other neurodevelopmental diseases. He called us and he said, hey, would you, would you fund me to do a little extra work so I can include Syngap? And we were like, absolutely. We, want, we, we are gonna have clinical trials. We need endpoints. We don't have great endpoints right now. We'd love to support this. And we went nuts. We went nuts recruiting. And he called a lot of other rare disease groups too. And guess what? Per the published paper, so I'm not making up numbers here. I'm reading you from a, a, a paper published in the American Journal of Medical Genetics. On the P10 group, he recruited 32 patients. NFIX, commonly known as Malan syndrome, great people, they recruited 23 patients. Syngap1, they recruited 49 patients. Thank you, Callie. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Lauren. Um, other NDGSs, neurodevelopmental genetic syndromes, they recruited 69 patients altogether, right? They didn't get enough of any one of those other groups to give them their own column in the data. But P10, Malan, and Syngap1, we got disease-specific data in this publication. Why? Because we recruited more patients. So a big thank you to every patient who calls us back when we say, hey, there's a study, will you please participate? Thank you, because that results in us getting Syngap1 in a paper as opposed to just being in the other bucket. And when Syngap1 is in a paper and people look up Syngap1, they find data and they find publications and they learn about our disease and they say, hey, maybe we can make a drug for this. So huge thanks to Dr. Frazier for your work and for including us. Huge thanks to Corey and Callie for recruiting and massive thanks to every single one of you who participates in the studies when they call. It's a big deal. And the link is in the show notes, of course. And then when you go to this paper, I want you to look at figure three. And the figure three is what I shared in the tweet. I put it on LinkedIn. I put it on Facebook. I'm very excited about this figure. And what this figure shows you is it shows you P10, NFIX, Syngap1, and other for all these different things that kids with neurodevelopmental diseases have, anxiety, uh, compulsive behavior, or challenging behavior, repetitive behavior, mood, sleep, quality of life. And guess what? Syngap1 scored highest on challenging behavior, no surprise to us, on repetitive behavior, on sleep. So we know that Syngap is even worse than the average neurodevelopmental disease for challenging behavior, repetitive behavior, and sleep. Quality of life, sadly, was not very high either. That is beautiful data that people can use to design trials and talk to the FDA about our disease. Congratulations, Dr. Frazier. Thank you to our parents. I'm really excited about that paper. Check it out. We like Dr. Frazier. We're gonna keep working with him. We're so thrilled. I also wanna thank Kevin. Kevin went to the um, Gatlinburg conference this year. Gatlinburg is a big conference, a lot of clinicians. I really wanted to go. I couldn't for a variety of childcare reasons. And guess what? I, I shouldn't have to go to everything. Syngap is a, we are, we are a large community of a lot of activated parents. And it was awesome that Kevin's like, yeah, it's pretty close, I'll go to that. And so thank you, Kevin, for representing Syngap1 and for our community and connecting with all of our friends at Gatlinburg. Combined Brain was there, Effie Parks was there, um, Parvati was there. So check out those tweets. Also, the ORCA team was there. So the ORCA team, speaking of studies, right? A year and a half ago, we started working with the ORCA team at Duke to make another endpoint for trials. And guess what? There's a poster, follow the tweet, in the show notes to the tweet with the picture of the poster. And guess what? There's three genes on there with data. One of them is Syngap1. Why? Because we recruit and we recruit fast and we get it done. Thank you for taking those calls.
If you hear the screaming in the background, Tony's watching YouTube. It's one of those mornings. Another win this week, Brain and Life published an article called How Parents Advocate for Their Children with Rare Disease. I'm like, what is Brain and Life? I've never heard of it. I don't care about Brain and Life. Well, you should care about Brain and Life. Why? Because it's the magazine of the American Academy of Neurology, which means who reads it? Neurologists. And guess what? Neurologists need to learn about Syngap-1 so they diagnose our kids. And guess what the first example is in that article of parents advocating for their kids? Syngap Research Fund. Boom. So we're... I don't care if people write articles about us, but I do care that people learn about Syngap-1. So that article is a big deal. Check it out. If you feel like it, share it out. Give it to your neurologist. Definitely give it to your neurologist. Hey, Mr. Neurologist, do you see this article on Brain Life? Syngap Research Fund, that's us. The other thing that happened last week that was super cool was Sibling Day. I put out a silly one-minute video of John on YouTube. Link's in the show notes. It's really cute. John's my wild type. So in, in science, when they, have, when, they, when they do controls, they do what would naturally happen, like a brain cell or a mouse or whatever, and they do the variant or the mutant, and they model our kids, right? And so there's wild type and, and mutant. And so I call Tony my, my Syngapian, and I, I call John my wild type. So this is just a little one-minute video of me and my wild type talking about what it's like to have a brother with Syngap, and John's four, so it's, it's pretty cute. Check it out. I also share in there um, another YouTube video from the LGS Foundation. It's actually from UCB, was a drug company, which has a podcast. And in that, Lori Bailey interviews Jen Griffin. Jen Griffin is, um, she's the head of patient advocacy for the LGS Foundation, so that the LGS families might have talked to her. She's fabulous. She's down in um, Southern California. And the person interviewing her is Lori Bailey. And Lori Bailey, of everybody I know in industry, Lori is the most passionate about siblings. And so it's really cool that for Siblings Day, she got to do this podcast episode with Jen talking about her wild type and what it's like to be a sibling. And you know what? At this level, LGS, Syngap1, they're all the same, right? If you're a sibling of one of these kids, it affects you, it changes your life. And um, it's worth listening to these kids and remembering our, 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 our siblings. So. Check out John, check out that that discussion between Lori and Jen. I think it's really fascinating. And then I just wanna flag for you next Thursday, Jen, uh, Jillian McKee is doing a webinar for us on the citizen data. Um, everybody should sign up for citizen. If you haven't signed up for citizen, please sign up for citizen. If you are signed up for citizen, make sure to refresh your records. But what, what happens with that data is once it gets collected and we get our beautiful dashboards, it then gets, uh, cleaned up a little bit and then people like Jillian and other researchers and companies can use that data to study Syngap and what Jillian's going to do in this incredible webinar next Thursday the 27th is talk about show you what she did with the citizen data I, it's going to be amazing I, I'm, I'm so excited it's something funny and then we have another webinar in May somebody's um, psychiatrist is talking about um, Syngap and some symptoms that he's seen really excited uh, relatively young researcher slash physician and I'm really excited for that one just, just to learn more, right? Getting doctors, and, and that happened because a parent said, hey, Mike, I, my doctor's great. I want him to give a webinar all day long, guys. If you've got someone you're working with who loves, who loves learning about Syngap and has something to share, call us. Let's get them a platform. Let's get them on the record and let's learn from them so that we can benefit each other. There's almost 400 patients in the U.S. right now, right? benefit each other, and benefit all the patients to come. The diagnoses are coming like that, guys. Every week I'm talking to another family. Well, not 
Corey's talking to another family. Sometimes I talk to them too. But there's a lot of families coming. Let me keep going. There's, there's some other cool things to learn about this week. So in the rare news update section, um, Stoke put out an article on a magazine called Knowledge, Knowab Knowable. I had no idea this magazine existed, but it's a beautiful and well-written article. Like I read a lot of science journalism and most of it, I'm like, oh, whatever. This is just very clean, very well-written. And it talks about um, haploinsufficiencies. We are a haploinsufficiency, right? So Stoke is talking about Tango. As you know, Stoke is working first on Dravet, but their next haploinsufficiency in their pipeline is Syngap-1. So check that out. And, and learn a little more about Tango from that very well-written article in Knowable. The other thing that's come out this week is um, SCN2A put out a... SCN2A Australia, led by Chris Pierce. Great SCN2A organization. Um, SCN2A Australia put out a YouTube video about their clinical trial site. So the YouTube video says, what are clinical trials? How do they work? It's beautiful. If you just ignore SCN2A and look at Syngap1, every single word in there applies to us. So watch that video, links in the show notes. And then that points to an scn2atrials.com website, which is also fascinating. Why is it fascinating, you ask? Well, why are they trying to educate people about trials? When you go to that website, you will see there's a logo on there. It says sponsored by Praxis. Hmm. Maybe it's on the YouTube video. Somewhere it says sponsored by Praxis. Guess what Praxis is doing right now? They're trying to recruit for an SCN2A trial. Why are they running an education campaign about trials? Maybe they're trying to get people to sign up for their trials. And this is where my head explodes. Are we really living at a moment when someone's got a therapy for a disease like ours and that trial's not already full? My mind is blown. Because let me tell you something. I got a call this week. I got a, a, a message this week from a parent in um, Europe. And parents like, Mike, when are trials... And should I move to America? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I, soon, like, I don't know, one or two years, uh, maybe, maybe you should move to America. I, I don't really know. I don't know where the trials are going to be. You know, there's going to be trials in Europe. There's going to be trials in America, I hope. There's going to be trials in England, probably. There's going to be trials somewhere in Europe. There's probably going to be trials in Brazil. There's going to be trials in different places for different reasons, right? There's going to be trials in Australia. Why would there be trials in different places? Well, number one, there's patients in different places and you got to work with different regulators. Number two, frankly, the FDA is pretty risk averse. I think the FDA is more worried about something going wrong in a trial than about all the suffering that our kids are going through. I'm just going to say it. And as a result of that, the FDA is really cautious. And as a result of that, drug companies are likely to go to other places. So are we the biggest market in the world? And do people need to get drugs approved here? Yes. Are we going to be first? I don't know. I don't know because the FDA is pretty risk averse. So to that parent and other parents who are wondering if they need to move to the U.S. to get their kids into a trial, it's not obvious, but it's also not crazy. And believe me, when there are trials, I will know and so will you because that's what this podcast is all about. But as you're thinking about trials, go to that YouTube video, watch it, and start realizing phase one and two will not be about finding the right dose, improving efficacy. Phase one and two will be about checking safety, right? And then you want to be in a phase three. Now, if you participate in the one, twos, probably get into the threes. But like this stuff is super complicated. And then somebody else told me, they're like, Mike, I want to, I want to learn who's, in, who's going through the Dravet trials right now and who's going through the Angelman trials. I want to follow along. I want to see what their experience is. 
And I was like, guys, they actually prohibited from posting about that. They're prohibited from talking about their trial experience. Why? Is there a secret? No. Because there's, there's, there's people on different doses, right? There's people on high doses and low doses and placebo, whatever. And so if you have some mom out there being like, I just saw this in my kid. And another dad is like, oh, she saw that in my, their kid. Maybe I see that in my kid. And then suddenly you're coloring the data, right? So it's actually important that people who are on trials don't broadcast their experience on social media. Important. Important. So it's frustrating for us because I keep telling you there's Angelman trials happening right now and there's Dravet trials happening right now and we're coming soon and you're like, what's the going on? We don't know. We don't know. That's why I point you to the Stoke readout on the Dravet data, which I've done in previous podcasts because that's the best we can do is to learn what's going on from published, clean data that comes from serious people like Stoke. And, you know, soon we're going to be seeing it from um, Praxis for SCN2A, I hope. Anyway, a lot going on. I get a lot of interesting questions. I'm sharing with you guys a fraction of what I've done this week, and I know it's a lot, but go through these show notes, click on these links. There's a lot of good stuff here. I'm going to just give you one more Easter egg. Um, I've talked about frogs in the past, and I came across a video where Dr. Helen Wilsey is talking about her frog work and why it's cool. If you're like, I still don't understand this frog thing, Mike. It's a three-minute video. Rare news updates, bullet three. Check it out. Check it out. It's really cool what Dr. Wilsey is doing with frog brains. And I think it could help us potentially give us a functional assay for missense mutants. By the way, missense, I had a long meeting on missense. And I want to thank JR and all the missense parents for the work they're doing to try to explain what's happening with missenses. And we've, we've been asking some questions and we've realized there's a lot of you who still are really unclear on if you have a protein truncating or a missense mutation. I'm sorry that's confusing. We are working on a webinar where it'll be me and JR talking and helping you really study and understand your own mutation. I cannot emphasize this enough. We have a genetic disease because we have a genetic mutation. Step one, understand your mutation. I realize that's hard. I realize genetic counselors are hard to get a hold of. Don't worry. We're working on a webinar. We're going to explain it. Um, but... Once you understand that problem, you will understand that Dr. Wilsey could be part of the solution. Super exciting. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. This has been a very long episode. It's been a very long week, let me tell you. Sprint for Syngap is in 14 days. Sprint for Syngap is in 14 days. And guess what, guys? We are killing it. This ha event hasn't even happened yet, and we already have 512 donors. Thank you to each and every one of those 512 donors who have raised so far $186,499. Unsurprisingly, in the lead, Team Tavilla, $128,000. Boom. Phoebe's fight, strong. Recently diagnosed, already raised 30 grand. Amazing Phoebe. Team Rocco, coming in over 10 grand. Hope for Hadley, almost seven. MMA, north of two. Team Andrew, what? $1,600. Team Grayson, $1,100. Team Kai, almost 1,000. Team Sadie, Team Naya, all very close to $1,000. Guys, get up there. Allison, almost 1,000. Team Teddy, 600. Go, Teddy. Hope for Reef, 450 kilometers for Kylan. I always have to look at that. 300. Patrick, others, Amsterdam is on there. Is that what that is? Whatever. Thank you to every single team. Raise money. Every dollar matters. Every dollar matters. We are funding work right now um, in a couple of places. We just awarded some new grants. These things take time. We have to award them. We have to negotiate contracts. We work has to start, and then we do a press release. So I don't even need to tell you about this stuff for months. But I'm telling you right now, these, mo these monies allow us to say yes to good work. And that good work 
gets us closer to help for our kids. That's the that's it. That's that's what it's all about. So thank you so much. So that's Sprint for Syngap in 14 days. MDBR is in 56 days. That'll be in Philly with our bike team. And then the Syngap conference is in 229 days. I'm finishing strong here. The Syngap conference is in 229 days. And the link is in the show notes, syngap.fun slash 2023hotel, syngap.fun slash 2023hotel. Go to that and book it now. Book it now. Book your rooms right now. Let's spend a few days together. Um, Fly in on Wednesday, November 29th. The conference is November 30th, December 1st. And then fly out on December 3rd which is a Sunday. So on December 2nd, we can all go to SeaWorld together and do something fabulous with all of our loved ones and each other. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be an amazing little mini Syngap vacation. Sign up for that. There's some other things to do. If you missed episode 100, links in the show notes. Watch it on YouTube. Ton of good work to do there, including a survey and biorepository data. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.